0: Welcome to Use Your Items, a video game blog and podcast brought to you by Jason and Francisco. Fran, how you doing today? Good, good. How about yourself? Uh, excited
1: to talk about this game that nobody has ever talked about before. Very cult right? classic. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, we're, we're treading new ground. We're going to talk about Starfield. No, we're not talking about Starfield. <laughs> uh, today we're talking about uh, the one, the only... The incredible uh, Ocarina of Time. Maybe one of the most famous games ever produced, ever developed. Uh, Iconic, incredible, unique, monolithic in a way. And yet, very common. Like, I feel like everybody has some sort of relationship with Ocarina of Time. Yeah. Good or bad, mostly good. You mentioned popular. I wonder how true that still holds now that we're
1: entering this age of... The video games are entering essentially like middle-aged adulthood yeah. sort of thing i wouldn't be surprised <laughs> <Middle> if that's <laughs> i wouldn't be surprised if that's a th- not a thing anymore right like if you go to the normal gamer and ask them what is considered the best or one of the most important games of all time i wonder how many people would answer ocarina of time in this day and yeah. age
0: I think it's that's a that's a really cool point, and it brings up a topic of audience. And so when I think mm. of the blog and the articles that I write, they're not directed at millennials and Gen X, yeah. And yet I think they have an implicit audience of millennials and Gen X. I I I think that as as a millennial, I don't really have a voice or a guidance or a track or a lane that sort of leads me to gen z necessarily Mm -hmm. yeah and i do and i do agree i'm very curious as to what does what does gen z see as an iconic monolithic popular important video game yeah yeah this came out in 90 uh it started development in 95 so i was five and you were younger i was two (laughs) yeah so it's i don't know i i i don't know for a game that came out in 98, what it really means to be like the most, I mean, uh, you, I feel like we're getting a little off track. and getting a little ahead of myself. So uh, 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 for the listener at home, I'll say that uh, at least myself. And I think Fran, you echoed this a little bit. I was feeling a little nervous talking about this because of the whole, what more is there to say about a game mm-hmm. that's been so prolifically discussed as Ocarina of time. And yet here we are kind of, already kind of getting (laughs) off track so i think we're we're set up for something good today so i think
1: i think that the good way of ending this slash what my feelings are from a popularity versus critical acclaim and everything is that this might be video game citizen kane where interesting if you had to guess go to any critic worth their salt of film and talk to them, okay, what is the one of the best films or one of the most iconic or one of the most uh, important films to filmmaking? Citizen Kane is up there, right? Right. But if I had to guess, most people have not seen Citizen Kane, right? Like,
0: 100%, I haven't right. seen it. I haven't seen I, it. I have not either. I, I just know about the the famous rocket sled in that movie <laughs> probably more than I know anything else about it. Wait. I'm not gonna get off track. That 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 just made me want to watch that movie. What what
1: are you talking about? Yeah, I
0: I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna piss off all of our film buff and our film history uh, viewers and listeners here. But I believe uh, Citizen Kane is something of a futurist or some technologist or something like that, and he has some crazy cockamamie idea that ends in it like a rocket powered sled. Basically, I don't know. Oh. I'm probably I'll get hate mail for that. <laughs> you can send it to useyouritems at gmail.com. but. Uh, better yet, comment on one of my blog posts. Uh, I'll take engagement all day. And <laughs> yeah, so I mean, there. I, I think you're right. And I think a lot of critics would point to this as that sort of incredibly important watershed moment in gaming. A la Mario 60, Super Mario 64, like we discussed last last episode. That is so singularly important that it can't really be understated. In the history and critical development of video games as a medium.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally.
0: So to kind of get get us on a track, not maybe the track like in our other segments and our other episodes, I got this idea to play this for my blog where I'm featuring for the least the next year. I'm going to try to hit it. We're going I'm going to play. We're going to play together now. A number of video games that I sourced from my friends and people that my loved ones and things like that. Video games that were extremely important to them for one reason or another. It could have been a childhood favorite, a classic, something they felt was important. And so we've covered Final Fantasy 7. We've covered Banjo-Kazooie. We're playing Undertale right now. spoilers for later (laughs) and on the blog I uh, you can follow back you can read back and see that I've written about uh about Obra and also well I think that might be the only other one that I yeah I think that was the only other one
1: and uh Kingdom Hearts right uh Chain of Memories
0: is that's that, not on there, but it should be. Oh, I, shoot. Oh, my B. <laughs> that's okay. I mean, it's on the blog, Spoilers. but it's not part of the series, technically. Ah, I uh, there's you, a lot got of you. other cool articles that I wrote on there, some interesting stuff. Uh, the Forgotten City, Chain of Memories is on there. Uh, I have a really interesting piece about, or at least I think it's interesting before I toot my own horn too much. I wrote about Tetris Effect Connect and how it basically made me cry. And it's probably one of the most beautiful games I've ever played. But that's another story, another podcast, another episode, another day. So that's kind of the impetus for this. So I'd like to start it off with a couple of thoughts from some of my friends uh, who thought that this was a really important piece to bring. And so uh, thanks, Mike. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Anthony, for commenting and adding your voice to this. And a lot of what they said was this sort of this childhood nostalgia. I think a lot of it was rooted in the sense of I played this as a kid. Some of some of my friends were afraid of the game. They found it like a very terrifying experience. It's so open. There's a lot of crazy things that happen. Some of the characters are particularly terrifying. You know, a Redead or something like that. Or a mm-hmm. Like Like. And it's this critical piece of their childhood. It's something that they have specific memories associated with playing. Mm. And... In a way, it's something that it, it's a game that created this freedom of atmosphere and this freedom to explore that was mm-hmm. maybe really unexpected and unseen previously, at least in a 3D space. Yeah. And so it cre- it removed a lot of limits while creating new ones. And that opened up a lot of imagination and joy from the player, from, from my friends when they were kids. And Man. I think that
1: shouldn't go understated the yeah. the 3D portion of it it's not just that it was the what feels like to be the first time that we explore a 3D space with a sense of wonder it pretty much is that I can't think of any other 3D exploration games before it I can't imagine what those games would be like or what those games are because of such an impact that ocarina of time has made on the genre Mm -hmm. and it seems to me so powerful that this game was able to from the get-go hit that because i don't want to go as far as to say this is the first 3d exploring game because i haven't done the research maybe there is some other game that i am not remembering But the fact that it is Nintendo's first whack at it, the fact that it is, if nothing else, if even if the game is now were to be considered uh, not aged well, which it isn't the case, but let's say it hasn't, uh, The people say it didn't age well, you can't take away from it the fact that, my goodness, what a home run on your first swing. This is like a rookie entering the big leagues, their first time at bat, they've... get thrown a fastball and their first swing is just a home run. It's like, Oh my God, how, how, how do you do this on your first go? It's so I didn't want to, I wanted to like make sure that that is something that if this is something that, uh, that more younger millennials or Gen Z are listening to. I think that is the key thing that I would want to impart. I guess this is kind of early to kind of give like a closing statement like this of this level but it's a guiding that, thesis it's a guiding thesis where it is amazing games like this are so easy to screw up many games after this have screwed up yeah in this and it being just laying down the groundwork being you know what this is how most mechanics there are of course some mechanics that have not aged well but for the most part it set down the groundwork saying this is how we are going to
0: enter the third dimension. Yeah. I I think that you really captured a lot of what makes this game so seminal and so important for so many people and why it's something that's worth revisiting even mm-hmm. in a day and age where 3d exploration is maybe, I think certainly taken for granted Yeah, to the point of it's, Prol- proliferation just yep. in in the marketplace i mean we are saturated with games that arguably descend almost directly from this yep. experience and something I, i'd i like to get into later on i think is sort of the direct thread that you can draw between ocarina to elden ring oh, to- yeah to <laughs> Dark Souls or anything like that. And uh, to the point where, you know, Miyazaki is directly quoted into uh, as to saying this. Right. So it's not like I'm really, I'm not really making like a crazy (laughs) statement here, but it's, it's a really wild piece because I mean, it does come out after Super Mario 64, Mm -hmm. right? It comes out after Banjo Kazooie. It comes out after a lot of these uh, early, breakout hits on the n64 Mm -hmm. that kind of set the stage for what is possible and what this console can do in spite of its hardware limitations versus the ps1 in spite of the limitations that being on a cartridge proves versus Mm -hmm. being on a on a cd on a disc like the ps1 or the sega saturn i would say i don't remember hot take I think
1: that the reason it works so well is because it's on a cartridge. Because it's on a cartridge, the loading times are so much faster. Then, yeah, you can have much more space and much more fidelity in a CD. But you also have to have a physical moving piece reading the disc. And that is what led to long load times in PS1 games and PS2 games. Really? So cartridge games being flash based, where they can have access to the memory more quickly, that's how they got away with so much. Being able to just jump into a new world and load in the level, like if you think about uh, Mario, just jumping in through the through the um, portraits, through the portraits onto the other map. Yes, there is a bit of a loading screen. There's like and like it shows you what star <laughs> you're doing before getting in. But if you do that relative to how much a loading screen on a Gran Turismo game was to load in the racetrack, oh, you needed to wait and for the bar to get full. And I think that that leads to Ocarina of Time allowing the player having a sense of freedom of not dissociating with the game every time you go through a gate to enter Hyrule, uh, the Hyrule Square, right? You right. go in and you're immediately in barely any loading time between the two. And if there is a loading time, it's hidden between another smaller level before you enter the bigger level, right? And the all these different smooth. things. Yeah, the game is incredibly smooth and that lends itself well to exploration, right? I can not feel like sometimes I've it's happened to me a bunch of times on PS1 game, PS2 games. Where I'm like, oh, did I explore that other place? oh but then I'm gonna have to go back through that door, and that'll cause yeah. a loading screen. And you know what? I I'm not even gonna bother. <laughs> if if there's if there's items there, uh, they're they're gone. They don't exist. They're not in memory. They don't exist. But in our career of time, that's not the case, right? Oh, it's over there. Oh, okay. It's only gonna take me thirty seconds uh to jump over to this other screen, check that and then okay, no, I'm good or no, I'm not good and go back. If anything there is design issues where it's not easy <laughs> for you yeah. to just go back and check something out. But from a technical perspective, it it does and it's crazy and I I it's 100% true. It's true that PlayStation 1 did have more power, did have more memory. And it was right. easier to work with than the N64. At the same time, I do want to give a little bit of a a I guess a, a props to, to the N64 by sticking to cartridges because it does allow them to, to do these things that other consoles wouldn't be allowed. So it's kind of doing something that Nintendo has always been known for, using their console to the best of its abilities rather than
0: following a trend. Right. That's, that's a really great point, And it's not something I think I would have ever come to. I would have never come to that point thinking about the N64 as slightly behind the times, but having very real physical benefits to a mm-hmm. flash based cartridge based memory. Yeah. And that being indicative of Nintendo saying we'll do more with less or we'll do mm-hmm. more with the thing that, you know, we have a, we have a, incredibly specific and pronounced vision mm-hmm. as a company as designers and we'll i'll get into the maybe I'll, I'll get into the history of the design with this game a little bit but it is very in line with we're gonna b- make the wii and yes it's weaker than the ps3 <laughs> but i don't care and i'll you know I, and we'll have an experience that nobody else will have yep And maybe this is from their perspective at, you know, originally as a playing card company, as a, as a toy company Mm -hmm. of there needs to be a, a, you know, an aspect of, of physical fun to their games, even up to the switch, right. Even through the three DS, through the DS, through their handholds, their handheld consoles as well. Like it's, it's very indicative of Nintendo's design philosophy throughout Mm -hmm yeah no i mean it's and the smoothness of play is something i hadn't considered until you said it because it Mm -hmm. it is it is remarkably remarkably easy to play the game it's easy to pick it up you never feel like even when you're backtracking you don't feel frustrated by load screens you just feel Mm -hmm. maybe frustrated or emboldened by the design of the dungeon itself which is (laughs) iconic for its own reason
1: yeah, it's crazy. It's it, it's definitely one of those things that uh, they call video editing and filmmaking the invisible art because it's one of those artistic uh, employments where y- if you notice it, then you probably are doing a bad job. Oh, yeah. You need yeah, to yeah, actually sense. be, if you're a really good editor, then your viewers are going to get the best and they're going to be able to say, I don't know why. That felt so good, but it felt good. That's your job as an editor. And that seems to be, I feel like, a lot of the mantra of engineers and about when it comes to working with designers, of making sure that the game feels snappy, feels good, feels technically, but you don't know why. Why does it, why does it feel fine to just go back? Why does it feel fine to do X, Y, or Z? And there are design options and design decisions that can do that. And there are technical ones, too. Uh, John right. Carmack is a king of this when it came to, to when creating Doom, making sure that the backtracking was fun by making the game faster, by making loading screens non-existent, by making, by this, that point, the uh, menus were all at 90, walls were at 90 degrees. So that way, all Wolfenstein, right? Wolfenstein, all right. of the walls and everything were 90 degrees. And that really added to the game being very repetitive. So one of the things that was a technical huge technical feat for Doom was okay, how do we make walls that aren't at 90 degrees? <laughs> how do how do I make this so that my partner, John Romero, can make more interesting levels and
0: things like that? That's very cool. Yeah. That, so that that's a really interesting idea that I would have never thought of is just in the in the granularity of the of the actual design of a level yeah (laughs) just the sort of it looks it just looks different on the way back through yeah you don't see it on the way through uh there was a really interesting piece uh, i think it was in it must have been in into the aether or something like that i think brendan bigley was talking about play replaying the original uncharted games Mm -hmm. and having this real moment of of just kind of like silly fun joy walking through a temple and seeing all the obvious places to take cover, all the places you're gonna have to fight through, and it's like all the stuff is really right front and center. Um, mm. so, and okay. I think that's a good thing. Like, yes, yeah. it's
1: a little bit, it's a little bit cheesy of like obviously there's gonna be something here, but it, it builds anticipation, right? It builds yeah. like, oh my god, there's about something super cool is about to happen, and it leads to Ocar- bringing it back to a of time bombable walls right you can mm-hmm. tell whether there's a bombable wall but or when there's going to be something that moves because it doesn't it's not pre-rendered or baked into the background so you see an object and you're like okay at some point i'm going to be able to move that thing because it's obviously rendered in a way very different from the background it's the uh scooby-doo effect right yeah the the you can tell okay that's not I was just of, gonna say it. that's that's something that's gonna move and i think that 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 obviously it it wasn't born out of a design decision the designers didn't i well i personally think that the designers didn't decide specifically i want this to pop out and i want this whatever whatever it probably came out of from a technical limitation of hey we're gonna need to not be able to render this exactly the same as the background because the lighting is gonna be different and all these different reasons so you're gonna have to make do and designers uh i imagine that designers went with it they were like hey how do I use this to my advantage then? Well, okay, then I can use it to hide puzzles or to create anticipation or to make the game a little bit more live anticipation. That's just the word, right? <laughs> I don't right. know. I there I could choose a billion synonyms for it, but that's the end of the day, right? What it is. It's, anticipation.
0: It's the expectation of the player and like the idea of this anticipation, there's a reality in which Ocarina of time is a video game and video games are meant to be played. And mm-hmm. I think you can kind of draw a line from Ocarina of time to Elden ring. And along the way, you'll find a lot of games that don't want to be video games anymore. Yeah. They want to be something else or <laughs> yeah. they're afraid of being too video gamey in spite of themselves, in spite of mm. their place as uh, in the in their medium of itself. I think of something like, like, Uh, death stranding right where you have a game that is super high minded in sense of story themes iconography imagery everything that that kojima and his team were trying to do in that game they achieved but at the end of the day it was an inventory management and like an open world travel it was a video game and it had like video game aspects to it and it still and it still scratched those itches in the same way that you know when we get to metal gear solid 2 i'm sure we'll see that there's there's very much in the way of of video game design principles in it on top of Kojima's nuance yeah. and his and his genius. I love and you
1: bringing that up because if you think about what would that version be in a book? It would be like the play or the author saying or the narrator saying they entered a room and then just describing the room and then all of yeah. a sudden one sentence out of nowhere saying there is an incredibly suspicious carpet on the floor that seems like you could that could have a trap door underneath it and then just continues yeah. talking about something completely different. It's like, oh, it's super obvious what's going to happen next. Like it wouldn't work in other mediums. It's a very video gamey. I mean,
0: thing. you you I think I don't know. I mean, you could kind of see it in a book or or something. Like there sometimes there's like really obvious foreshadowing in yeah. a book or even a <laughs> fair, movie fair. and like you can really smell it. And part of that that anticipation and that joy is like, what are they going to do with it? And then mm-hmm. you know y- you go far enough down the rabbit hole with literature, and then you start getting into red herrings, and then you start getting into yeah. playing with the expectations of the reader of your audience. Is the author alive? Is are they dead? Yada yada. Mm-hmm. And you get that over the course of video game history as well, mm-hmm. and it's happening every single day. You know, it's it's and it, and a lot of it, I think, comes down to. The direction and voice and design principles of a studio or a game maker. I mean, we're sitting here on September sixth, what the day after Starfield came out mm-hmm. and just dropped a Game Pass today. And I mean, like them or hate them, however you feel about Bethesda, Todd Howard, any of that, you can't you can't knock what him and his team have created over the past mm-hmm. twenty or thirty years of design principles because they have some of the most well-regarded rpgs ever made mm-hmm. and they're extremely video gamey yeah. they are unbelievably a video game and they are still beloved to this day
1: yeah definitely i wonder why you were mentioning how video some video games don't want to be video games yeah. it's i wonder why where i know that there is i know some of the reasons, some of the reasons because they feel like video games are for children and therefore we want to be more mature and everything. But if you were to tell an author, uh, make a book without foreshadowing, they would be kind of like, Why? Like, sure, I could do it, but that's just a tool in your toolbox, right? Why wouldn't I use foreshadowing and why wouldn't you use these design decisions of building anticipation? Because that is, I guess, another word for it, right? Foreshadowing, like you mentioned where seeing those yep. those shields at those places to take cover is a foreshadowing uh, tool to be used by designers.
0: And it's, it's a really interesting point you bring up because when you get into authors and novels that no longer want to be literature or no longer want to be novels in the traditional sense, mm. you get into some really incredible pieces of metafiction and postmodern literature, which mm-hmm. I spent quite a bit of time in my life with, and you get... Things like Voss, which is a novel about uh, vasectomies and an author trying to deal with the the implications emotionally, physically and psychologically of being a 21st century man getting a vasectomy in his relationship. And the book resists being read in a very physical way. It's like awkwardly shaped. It doesn't want to hold stay open when you open it. The spine super like it is a physically difficult book to read on an almost on an accessibility level and you start getting and something probably the most common and most popular example of metafiction and postmodern writing where literature ceases to deal with or address the fact that it is literature is some or deals with it excessively is like house of leaves uh by Mm -hmm. daniel lewski if you've ever heard or read that (laughs) where it's a book where there's dozens and dozens of blank pages in it and there's some pages that have three words on it and it's just it's an absolute just mind fuck from beginning to end and it's a book that is very resistant to reading it's a book that has has multiple narratives playing out at the same exact time across the across the book itself where the front page matters but it's like crazy and it's mm-hmm. and you start to see that in games today like um what, what's the what's what's it uh the stanley parable
1: yeah that is one of my huge that's my like citizen kane of of filming i haven't played stanley parable and it seems like i should
0: have played that i know so far
1: it, so so long ago
0: i i'm with you on that and that's and that's similar <laughs> in, in a similar space where it's a game that really breaks the rules of what it is to be a game as opposed to so I think it lives in two camps where it's like I'm a game that is hyper aware that I'm a game and I'm mm-hmm. going to play with that. The aspect of it in yeah. regards to um, uh, your your partner, Lauren, had me play accounting in VR Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and that's a game that is uh, that is very interested in being a video game and what that means and how that plays out. While being, you know, part of mm-hmm. uh, uh, their that that studio's uh, brand of humor, mm-hmm. as opposed to, and, and so my my you know my example of this games that want to be a, something other than a game, and we talked about this last time, is mm-hmm. like The Last of Us, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is a game that is so ingrained in being a video game and being played with a controller, but at the same time is is doing an incredible job hiding the aspects of it that are necessarily gaming. And again, this is yeah. something we're going to get to later, later this year as well. And, you know, th- there's other experiences like that where it's sometimes it's just a game that, that is, is very interested in just, you know, being a, a probably a more, I'll, I'll call it normal for lack of a better term. <laughs> experience like an ocarina of time or even an elden ring right where everybody knows it's a video game the designers and the developers know that it's a video game mm-hmm. but there's still an incredible story and it's enlightened and brought to life through that fact as yeah. opposed to in spite of it or against it or in anticipation or understanding of it yeah well
1: speaking of meta stories and bonkers stories and all these things let's talk about how ocarina of time doesn't <laughs> have a yeah. bonkers story and a crazy story or anything like that. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, I think that the biggest, I guess, spoilers alerts. I I think that all our spoilers, yeah. <laughs> spoilers, the biggest spoiler for Ocarina of Time is essentially how much, how much gameplay is in it, right? right. You, you start playing this game, you hear about the three things that you need to collect to open the the temple of time and all these different things and you think that that's probably going to be it right like you collect these three things you get the master sword you fight ganon and the story's over yeah. but that's not even halfway through the game right let's it's the first quarter the first quarter even and it is what a treat to to have a the plot twist of a game is that it has more game <laughs> right what a treat
0: yeah, it it is. It's a it's a good point that it's it's a game that kind of sets up the expectations of you do the thing that's happened in every other Zelda game and every other Legend of Zelda <laughs> game where you are collecting this MacGuffin, that MacGuffin, and the next, and it's usually in some form of threes or sevens mm-hmm. or fives or whatever mm-hmm. it ha- happens to be in that game. And there's a clear and obvious villain, and then there's your princess and. It's still it's still interacting with and playing in and in very many ways, cementing the experience of a Zel- of a of a Legend of Zelda game. Mm-hmm. But it's also just leading you on to having that experience of you're not just young link. You're yeah, you're, this is called the Ocarina of Time for a reason. yeah and, Yeah. And we're going to show you what that means and we're going to give you the full control of the ocarina and the ability to play songs and have some freedom of movement. You don't just walk up to a pedestal and click the A button to play the song of time or Zelda's lullaby or you know mm-hmm. the minuet of fire or what have you. It's it's always or the bolero of fire. Bolero it's fire. always <laughs> sing, sing play the damn song. Yeah. And, and it's so
1: that in of its own it's a it
0: fracking it's incredible uh, the notes
1: in of itself I I for, I can't I don't want to regurgitate it because I don't remember everything that was said in the video but there is a full like 15 to 30 minute video on how um uh, K- uh, Koji Kondo came up with <laughs> the the notes that you would need to because it's like okay I only get five notes which five right. notes am I going to choose that are going to allow you to play 10 songs. It's they crazy. To, it's crazy. And I think that Kaji Kondo is somebody who, uh, for better or for worse has, is very complex character as a composer just because of the, I don't know how much you know about how very much little. sampling he used for his, uh, comp- uh, a lot of the songs that you hear in Ocarina of Time. I, this might be something that might be put uh, removing the veil from your from your head then it's unfortunate <laughs> but there are a lot of songs me, in friend. Ocarina of Time and Mario original Mario as well that are very obvious from a library sampling that he just owned he really? he was just a big he was a big he was more of a dj almost than a composer and huh. you hear some of these songs, the original version ver- versus the Ocarina of Time version, and you go, ah, that feels uncomfortably close. That, that that feels a little bit too close for comfort. It doesn't feel like it was inspired. It kind of is entering that world of plagiarism, and it's kind of like, oh, this, huh. this hurts a little bit. To so know that 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 this song that is so, like, so iconic is is sample and it's not plagiarism in the sense of legal i don't think he did anything illegal djs can sample and remix and reuse but it does so it, i'm not call, saying that he plagiarized in the legal sense but You're it is a little bit of our DJ i'm not <laughs> i'm not trying to piss off all my djs that's most of the music i listen to please remixes but <laughs> it is it is sometimes and maybe this just speaks more towards me. Maybe this has becomes just a me that I need to talk with my therapist of like, why do I feel like <laughs> this is disappointing that he didn't create this from from scratch? And maybe that just speaks more to me rather than Could be. the the artistic process. So I I did not know that. That's pretty. That's pretty cool that Yeah, like you could check it out on sometime on YouTube. Like, hey, yeah, I will. and and you'll notice that some of these are like, okay, this is a little bit a little bit too close for comfort, in my opinion. But yeah. having said that, and the reason I said this, because I I would imagine that there are some listeners that no, knew about it and would be would be remiss if we said, Oh, Kanji Kondo is a masterpiece, master composer without mentioning that. He still is pretty much a master composer. <laughs> like having to fake those five, those five notes in of itself. Like it's that's even crazy. That's like game design on top of compo- composing, right? Right. Like you hey. you you ask John Williams, hey, can you compose this Star Wars song? Like, okay, yeah, awesome. Okay, now could you make it also so that, that way, for our audience can like whistle specific notes and therefore something different happens and those notes can't just be random they need to listen good, hear good they need to sound really good
0: yeah just can you do all of star wars with five notes <laughs> that would be great yeah i i just really need everyone to be able to whistle it on their way out of the theater so you're going to need to <laughs> simplify it i think a little bit cuz i can't i can't whistle duel of fates you know <laughs> maybe i can not skill issue yeah, it's a skill issue. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it, it's I it's pretty it's pretty straightforward to have to say that we need to talk about the music in Ocarina of Time. Yeah. Because that's that's so much of the experience of this game. Let's get into I wanna do a little development history Sure. and I wanna talk about our our histories oh, um, yeah. with Legend of Zelda <laughs> and Ocarina of Time. We have I I think we got off to a really great start. So why don't we start with uh our why don't you tell me how you came across Zelda? What was your experience with oh Zelda? What's that like? My experience of Zelda in general or Ocarina of Time specifically? Both.
1: Both. I believe that I my first relationship with Legend of Zelda was... Uh, I never owned an N64 growing yeah. up. So my first experience with Legend of Zelda were the Oracle of Ages game where I played... Yeah. Great games. It's great. (laughs) Love that game to death. I played it. Oh my god. Capcom, Zelda, let's go. Let's go. Which has its own... I don't want to get sidetracked, but there were supposed to be three, there went into two. Anyways, Oracle of Ages, really enjoyed it. And I always, after that, I always had murmurs of like, this game, uh, Ocarina of Time, Legend of Zelda, and all these different things, and all these different games. And... After a while, I was able... My friend got it in 64. And I played a lot of Zelda at, when I was over at his place. But it was not my own save, save account. It was essentially... <laughs> it was essentially... I could play off of his game. And I just would not save. So that way it would go back to where he was. And he could play it so... I played. Oh my God, <laughs> this is that's so wild. So what a, what a wild!
0: Ridiculous way to play Ocarina of Time. So, so I played it's like, like the it's first... like you got to have a blockbuster experience without ever going to blockbuster. Yes,
1: <laughs> pretty much. That was essentially. I played the 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 first temple through to completion. Uh, I played the second temple, uh, the Death Mountain. I don't believe I played Jabu Jabu this first time because. He just finished Jabu Jabu before I was able to come back, and so it was like a bunch of this like <laughs> pick and choose your 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 adventure, so oh, to man. speak. And it was, I the best way that I could describe it, it was like me as a little kid watching a serialized cartoon where you don't always get to see every episode because things happen. Your your parents yeah. took you out to the park that day, or. Or you had a birthday party and you weren't able to see that episode or anything like that, so you just missed some episodes, right? So, so that's how I treated oh my, Ocarina of Time. <laughs>
0: your Ocarina of Time experience was everyone, everyone's Dragon Ball Z tsunami experience, yes. where somehow Goku's <laughs> only been running on the the serpent's path for two years straight, and I've never seen another episode. <laughs> it's.
1: It, that is pretty much how my first ocarina of time experience went.
0: Oh man! So how did you? So that that's that's a, that's really cool. That's actually that's that's a crazy. That's got to be crazy to come to it now. Yes. So that's not my only time. I have finished it quite a few times since. Oh, okay, since cool. That.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was a yeah. I did that, and then sometime in my preteens, my uncle. Uh, I was staying with him over a weekend and I played it and then I, I was able to finish it all the way through like maybe eight years after. So it came out in 98. Uh, I was six, seven at the turn of the millennia. So probably around five to six years after it had come out, I was able to play it from beginning to end. Then I played it again on the 3DS. That's yeah. probably the best If it was on a TV, I would definitely say it's the best way to play it. But the fact that it's on a 3DS makes it a little bit difficult. And then this time I played it again. So in total, I believe I have two completion. I have only beaten it three times, excluding the first time when there was the Dragon Ball Z uh, mode. Filler arcs. Filler arcs. Uh, I was watching my girlfriend play it for the first time, so I was able to experience that the game through her eyes as well. That was in college, even though I didn't mm-hmm. actually play. I played a little bit in some places where
0: she wasn't that's, able to. I don't think that's that. I don't think you should understate that experience. That's yeah, I think, yeah. Play. A- it's a it's a lot different doing that than like watching a let's play mm-hmm, which is mm-hmm. still is still a valid a valid experience but not the whole thing but still mm-hmm. I, that that's that's awesome i i love that you came to the series at first on oracle of ages <laughs> What a what a game to start at i, I incredible <laughs> games uh, so worth revisiting it or visiting for the first time if you haven't had the opportunity mm-hmm. it's so wild to think it i i love thinking about the idea that capcom got got the zelda license Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they did something so innovative by allowing you by giving you a reason to play both of the games yeah
1: which i never got to do unfortunately i've never done it either i I was was an oracle of
0: seasons guy myself really uh yeah
1: i go my goodness These, these are an amazing hot takes my my reason for playing Ocarina of Ages was only two reasons as a little kid. Oracle? Oracle of Ages. <laughs> Ocarina of Ages. Oracle it's of Ages. the next game. Only two reasons. A, it's blue, and blue was my favorite color. <laughs> and That's all it takes. And B, when I was reading, I was like, well... If I had the power to control ages or seasons, I think I would rather control ages than seasons. So that was literally it's my strictly only. strictly the
0: correct choice, is it?
1: I I've never played seasons, so I have no idea if it I mean, was. Seasons
0: was sweet. Seasons was really <laughs> sweet. Um, I think one was supposed to be more difficult than the other. I, I think, think ages was supposed to be harder.
1: I, from what I've heard, ages is more puzzle oriented, and seasons is more combat oriented.
0: Hmm interesting yeah that, but would, I, that would explain why i resonated so much with seasons <laughs> than over ages because i'm not as much a puzzle guy we talked about this over the weekend actually mm. with my lack of my lack of <laughs> witness in my life how dare which, you i know i've been i've been chagrined many a time before soon maybe, coming maybe, to you at twitch.t the oh uh
1: wobe con god i Wobi con uh a let's play be t- with me and <laughs> me just breathing down jason's yeah, neck like, that'll
0: be good <sighs> I, maybe we should make a we should probably make like a like a user items twitch that we can share that would be that would uh, be way uh, more fun and it would be it would make a lot more sense than my crazy twitch handle but anyway um so so your experience so you had a very interesting history with this game and coming to it and you've played it a few times that's that's awesome mm-hmm, yeah yeah. My experience with Zelda at large was watching some kids play A Link to the Past on Game Boy Color mm-hmm. in summer camp. And then I think I I I was not typically I was not typically a Zelda gamer. Mm-hmm, mm. I would say I didn't really play any of them on the SNES or the NES. Mm-hmm. My first solo experience with Legend of Zelda I'm going to say, was probably Twilight Princess. Intr- Whoa. Okay, okay. So I didn't play... I played Twilight Princess to completion. I actually loved it. I think Twilight <laughs> Princess is chagrined for all the wrong reasons. I think it's great. Is that
1: going to be um, one of our games? Because I... I Similar to Metal Gear not, Solid but. 2, as as a young lad, I did not particularly enjoy it. And I'm curious to see if I gave it more... Flack than it deserved.
0: Yeah it 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 was it was maligned and I don't think it was maligned for the wrong reasons at the mm-hmm. time. I do think that it caught some flack for being on the Wii,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: okay. e- despite it also being a GameCube title, mm-hmm. which is another interesting. It's another like Breath of the Wild thing. Yeah, but, but regardless, uh I think that was my first full Zelda experience. I want to say that was it because I didn't play really i so i didn't play oracle of seasons until i was in college Mm -hmm. and i know i played twilight princess on the wii when it came out and that came out when i was in high school so i think the timeline works out that that would be correct i never played ocarina of time much Mm -hmm. like our other episodes i spent a lot of time reading about it in my nintendo power subscription so wait was this your first time this is my first time oh wow i didn't know that i played it i so i played ocarina of Time. Once before during college, I remember particularly being extremely hungover after uh, a rager with some friends <laughs> in Delaware and we were at like my buddy's house and he had like he had an N64 and an Xbox and a PS4. It was like a dude it was just like a guy's house and they had like every console possible set up. A true bachelor pad. A true bachelor pad and my friends were playing Dead Space and I was playing Ocarina of Time. And I'm sure I was playing like the the uh, the Ocarina of Time drinking game at the time. Oh, my, which was a terrible idea. I won't repeat it here for the sake of our our listeners livers, but (laughs) bad idea. And I never finished it. I thought it was fun. I thought it was cool. I I do remember being like shocked when I got to Hyrule Field, which I think is the Mm -hmm. appropriate response. Yeah. And then I didn't really do anything with Zelda again until I picked up. I picked up Oracle of Eight Seasons and I loved it. And then in uh, later on in college, I played through. I think it must have been grad school, actually. I played through all of Majora's Mask, and mm. I am a I am a much more fervent Majora's Mask fan. I love Majora's uh, Mask. I see a man of culture as well. <laughs> it's just I. It's so it's weird and offbeat, and it and it's. It feels a little bit more adult, which I appreciate, Mm -hmm. but it's so dark and it has like some Tim Burton to it, but it's not it's not saccharine in in its in its treatment like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love Majora's Mask to death. I, I find it so compelling for so many reasons, especially just having a Zelda game that doesn't really end. Perfectly Mm-mm. is is a really interesting is a really interesting take on the on the series as a whole. But so I I came to I came to Ocarina this year after many many years of playing Breath of the Wild, Tears of the Kingdom, Twilight Princess. I tried uh, I tried Wind Waker. I did not like Wind Waker. Interesting. A I have neg- not finished. A pretty. Wind Waker. Not, not a not a popular opinion. I'll tell you. Yeah. But. I, well, I, yeah, I don't know. I, it's, <laughs>
1: it's, it's one of those games where I think that people that love it really love it. Yeah. And I don't, I, but I don't think there's many, it was fine or yeah, it was good fans. You know, it, it's usually,
0: it's usually either they're ride or die. <laughs> uh, Wind Waker fans. There's really, it's, it's of any major series like this. hmm I feel like that's the case. There's often not a middle fan. Maybe in a larger series that's more prolifically produced, like Pokemon, you can have a middling opinion, and that's pretty acceptable. But even so, I loved Black and White, and I thought Black and White Two was exceptional. Mm-hmm. And that'll, I, I've, I've been crucified on internet really? forums for loving Black and White Two. That is.
1: That is very interesting. You need to find the competitive scene because most competitive players say that Black and White 2 was the last competitive Pokemon game. The, I, out I there. it. So, so I never I, got to play it. Pokemon for me is very simple. Are the starters cool? If not, then I won't play it. And yeah. I just did not like the starters the right from that generation.
0: So I was like, I'm out. Yeah, it's the right way to do it at this point. But anyway, I don't want to digress too yeah, far. Yeah, 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 my bad. <laughs> my, my... My experience with uh, with Zelda has been a little bit fraught since then. I didn't finish Breath of the Wild. I haven't finished Tears of the Kingdom because mm-hmm. my Switch died. I'm not a monster. Uh, I and... haven't finished it either, and okay, I am a monster. We're in good company <laughs> then. But it's just, uh, it, it's often not been my series because I'm not the craziest about puzzle solving, which I think mm-hmm. is a lot of the joy that's mm-hmm. derived from the series is combat, exploration, adventure, puzzle solving, kind of that that sort of that sort of melange of it all. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But yeah, I I would say I had a little bit more of a removed history with the game. I didn't grow up with it. So I didn't really have like a strong nostalgia to it. So when uh, talking to some of my friends who suggested it and it comes down to there's, there's this really intense nostalgia with it to the point where my friend Mike was explaining to me, how he was so terrified of the re when he played it, like his cousin had to explain to his parents why he couldn't eat dinner because he was so, so distressed by having, having, uh, ha- like being huggy. unable to leave. Yeah. To being unable to leave the temple of time, which is a quintessential childhood experience. Mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. it's up there with like the never ending story yeah. or, uh, you know, the uh, what's the timber in the, uh, Nightmare Before, Nightmare Before Christmas. Christmas. Yep, where it's just these these quintessential experiences of both fear and joy and terror Jumanji. kind of all wrapped into one. Jumanji. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I really think that 90s that's kids, something.
1: Yeah, they're nineties because that's something that it has been. It's it's coming back a little bit. There has been a few recent shows like uh, Gravity Falls where yes. they are bringing back some because there was there was a kind of a, like a saccharin age epoch so to speak in the two thousands where. Everything was hyper clean. They were like, we cannot have anything scary for any children. Everything needs to be super cutesy, super all these things, very Nick Jr. and everything like that. But I think there is something too important growing up about being scared or as a kid wanting to be scared or wanting to overcome fear and feeling, having that feeling.
0: Are you a horror movie guy?
1: No, I I really am not. Well, I I'm for the most part no. I would yeah. say I'm definitely not a gore horror movie like Saw and stuff like that. I don't sure. see that appeal. Sure. That's
0: a particular time.
1: Yeah, for as from a other's perspective uh, from a more psychological horror, those I'm more into but more from a is the drama good so to speak? Like right. I'm not a like, I wouldn't watch just, like, Scream or Friday the 13th or Halloween. You seem like a Shutter Island kind of guy. I haven't seen it, but yes, from what I've heard, something more like that where okay. we're a little bit more subdued. And I'm not, I wouldn't say that I'm that type of guy either. Like, I'm not a fan. Okay. It's okay. just that I like mo- good movies and some good movies yeah. happen to be horror movies, you know, Yeah. Uh, kind okay. of deal. Uh, Fair so. Enough. So yeah, what, I, what was what? <laughs> let me sit down, lay down in bed. What were what was you gonna tell me about my therapy session here? What what were you gonna ask psychoanalyze no, about about no, me? liking no, horror movies all. or not? <laughs>
0: I, I was just curious if you had a relationship with horror movies or not. Uh, coming from that from that perspective of think uh of seeing well, the value in in courage, right? That's I of, guess.
1: Well, now that I'm thinking about it, and, and now that I'm going back, I grew up loving. Nightmare Before Christmas. And one of the reasons why I loved it so much was because my parents didn't let me watch didn't want me to watch it because they were (laughs) scared that I was gonna be scared. Like I was very young, I was I was just essentially I was at that point I got scared of Jumanji. I mentioned Jumanji. I got scared of Jumanji, the plant scene that grabs his leg and starts like pulling him. It's actually towards actually a really scary like, scene for a kid. I like, think that freaked me the heck out, and and so when I wanted to watch Nightmare Before Christmas, my parents were very much like, "I don't think this is a good i this this ain't it, chief." Uh, so yeah. so being able so so loving, just loving to to death this this movie when i finally did get to see it and my parents were like oh okay he's, he's enjoying it and he likes it and i'm like yo this movie is sick and I'm watching it like every year and so so to speak so there is some level of creepiness that i like i i guess i like the spooky aesthetic not necessarily the horror getting okay. scared type of thing What
0: would you think of the spooky aesthetic if at all in ocarina of time <laughs> how does cuz it, it's there right it is it's there undeniable
1: undeniable i i am one we can get later on into the music and everything but just to really quickly about, one yeah, of my
0: talk about talk about spookiness
1: spookiness my favorite one of my favorite the one like the song that i feel like in ocarina of time goes under the radar the most is the forest of uh, the temple the forest temple uh song right That is the creepy and unsettlingness of it. Like I know that when everybody talks of Kuroda time, the first thing that they go to is the Shadow Temple, right? <laughs> this is the quintessential spooky temple. The I right, guess. but yeah. for me, that music and that like being in this place that is in between spirit realm and physical and the, the, the hallway that twists. So that way now everything is upside down. and something is, is everything is unsettling is just forest temple. And the specifically the music to me personally is a very underrated song in Ocarina of time. Um, And so, for me personally, I think that there is a lot in Ocarina the Time that I would say the spooky aesthetics speak to me from a feeling and overworld tone type of deal. I will say I'm not as interested in the Shadow Temple's spookiness. Just from my perspective, it seems very straightforward i guess right it's very creepy don't get me wrong that monster like (laughs) like like the little hands and big mouth it's very creepy and everything like that but it really does feel like they were just thinking okay what's something creepy blood okay darkness okay big mouth no eyes like it seems like it was very by the books creepy and like oh scythes and knives and all these different things Versus, there's a lot of other places in Ocarina of Time that are much more unsettling, quiet, yeah. spooky, and those are the ones where I'm like, like, like for example, the Rededs in the Hyrule Square. I would say the Rededs on Hyrule Square is not the scariest part of Hyrule Square. The fact that it's so empty. And it's so, so quiet after you've been there so many times before where there's people dancing and music and all these different things. That, to me, is the more
0: spooky
1: part of Ocarina of Time that they do really well.
0: Yeah, I mean, that it's there's not a game, I think, that does juxtaposition of spaces like that mm-hmm. better. Yeah, of having this this huge change between childhood and adulthood which is so so much the the DNA of the game mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. is spreading this experience out of growing up from childhood and then seeing the same places that you grew up in quite literally mm-hmm. change in you know 7 years and this experience that so many so many of us maybe everybody has had of watching their childhood change, their childhood sort of rose colored lenses fall off. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it, you said it beautifully. It's, it's not just that it's full of dead. It's that it's empty and it's dark and the sky is dreary. And this place that was full of love and life and excitement and th- this experience of, wow, I've never seen anything like this before. I can't believe I'm allowed to explore this, this, I can go into all of these shops and then you get there and there's nothing left and the whole world's collapsed in your, in your, in your, while, while you were gone, in your mm-hmm. coma or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And it's, it's quintessential to the experience of what Ocarina's doing. I think of a lot of Miyamoto's uh, guidance as far as taking these things that he's, he's so apt at doing of capturing this, this joy and wonderment that comes with childhood, but then extrapolating it or zooming in on it, right? He does Mm -hmm. these things Mm -hmm. both very well. Whether you look at something like Pikmin being like this really, this really hyper-focused example of taking an experience and making it full of wonderment and sort of childhood joy or this extrapolation of it as child link to adult link. Yeah. And, and and seeing that, it's it's a really compelling image and it's a really compelling experience that not a lot of other games offer in the same spaces where you kind of get to explore the same space that you've already explored, this place mm. that you've learned to understand. It's it's what it's one of the magic tricks I think of Ocarina of Time, right, yeah. where you get to know this space, you know this, you know Ocarina, or I'm sorry, you know Hyrule City, Hyrule Field, you you know the Zora area, the Goron, uh, Death Mountain, uh, Kakariko Village, all of these areas, the forest, the Lost Woods, like you get to know them so well in the first quarter of the game. And then you finish the, the quest that Princess Zelda gave you, mm-hmm. and you're left with this really dark experience of I have to go back through the things that I knew and I mm-hmm. thought I understood and nothing's the way I left it. And yeah. it's this really stark moment of, you know, growing up and mature and maturing maybe faster than you're ready for. Yeah,
1: definitely. Def- that is a big thing. and and not just <clears throat> growing up faster than you were meant to grow in all these different things, but also regret, right? <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> like, um, This is something that I didn't notice the first, like, couple times I played. But, uh, it's kind of your fault. Well, not your, necessarily, only your fault, but it's yours and Zelda's accidental fault for letting Ganondorf into (laughs) the Temple of Time, right? Letting him win. Like, if you hadn't collected all three pieces, then you wouldn't have, and brought them to the Temple of Time, he wouldn't have gotten the three pieces. He wouldn't have been able to, the Temple of Time would not have opened, and he wouldn't have had access to to the spirit realm, to the sacred realm, right? Yeah. So kind of this this whole like, oh my goodness, this is my fault. This is something that I need to do. I've grown so fast. Like that ending is so good, I feel like. Like it's such such a good ending in that.
0: It's really meaningful.
1: She's sending you back to your time to like, you need to like. You need to go back, dude. You need to like go, like learn, like grow up in your own time. What a what a nice thought and nice story. Yeah,
0: you you live through the worst of it, and now you get to go back and experience and and get to live your childhood that you lost. It's, yeah, it's this reclaiming of of lost innocence. And then you you just a few years later you get Majora's Mask. <laughs> yes, I was gonna say like ah, uh, that didn't last long, huh? <laughs> you, yeah, yeah. It's I I love Majora's Mask so much, and I think it does such a wonderful job of of dealing with this sense of lost innocence and this this sense of just sort of forsakenment that the series is, I think, very, very interested in because you're constantly replaying the role as the hero of time, mm. right? Constantly. Yeah. In every game, it's you and Zelda and this cast of characters that repeat, and that's something that's so beautiful and wonderful and very mythological about the series, despite their forced timeline that I refused to believe. <laughs> but okay right time is the one that messed everything up man three
1: timelines
0: my guy three timelines unnecessary <laughs> uh, they did they just they didn't need to be unified they didn't need to they didn't need to say anything they yeah. should just let it, let mm-hmm. good art lie but not not allowed <laughs> i think that the way that the series attempts to deal with this sense of childhood loss and abandonment and it, it just it just captures these really salient experiences of, I, I think maybe universal experiences of childhood of feeling, you know, isolated, alienated, mm-hmm. othered, and bullied at the beginning. Bullied. You're bullied. Yeah. Extri- yeah, You're, you're othered, you're bullied. You don't belong. You're not an elf. You're not, you shouldn't be in the, the forest. You don't have a, a fairy. I mean, so much of it is this experience, th- this oftentimes quintessential unfortunately experience of childhood where it's not all sunny and, and bright skies. And I think probably relates very closely to a lot of people who, who play games and grew up playing games Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. and, and speaks to that, that real darkness that can, that can sort of cloud. I mean, you know, in otherwise beautiful childhood, it doesn't have to be all, all downs and down some stuff, but it is a game that and, and you know, we're not breaking new ground, right, by saying any of this, but it's a game that really emphasizes the thematic elements of the story in its mm-hmm. gameplay and its yeah. design. And that's that's something that is evidence of, I think, masterwork and mastercraft, mm-hmm. yeah. because it, it it's easy to write a story. It's not, but mm-hmm. it's, it's easy <laughs> to do any one of these things once, but then to hit all of it and get all of it to line up with the experience of playing the songs and how the songs work mm-hmm. and the experience of gaining these new items and these new power-ups and getting to feel more and more powerful as the game continues. Yeah. But then continually presented with additional challenges that will stress the ways that you've learned to play the game. Mm-hmm. And put you in these these periods in these positions of, I was once powerful. I did understand how things worked, and now, much like learning and growing and becoming an adult and losing your innocence, I'm now put in a situation where I have tools, but I don't have all of the tools. And yeah. Now I have to navigate a new space, a lost space, something that is is not something that I'm previously <clears throat> familiar with. Yeah,
1: I agree. So, having said all this, I think something interesting that we could talk about is if you could give a negative or a criticism, what would your criticisms
0: be? I don't want to neg the game, but I had some problems with level and dungeon design. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. And... I played on the 3DS version, which I think is the quintessential version. If you have an XL, it's a little bit more comfortable. Yeah. Or you have small hands, I guess. (laughs) I found gameplay as Child Link to be infinitely more enjoyable Mm. than Adult Link. I didn't like Adult Link's items. I did like having Epona. I did like riding around Hyrule Field on the horse, but it's so minimal that it almost doesn't matter. and And it's... and if you miss it, I don't think you're missing a lot. I, I, I'm i going to be honest with you. I, I didn't unlock her this time. I don't blame this you. It's a whole <laughs> extra thing. I didn't,
1: I couldn't remember how to do it. I, I, I mean, teach me, remind me how to do it. Cause I, so I got to the, as an adult, I went over there, I paid the rupees. I played the ocarina for opponents again near me. Yeah. I rode her. I went over the jumps. I locked on to Luigi. Well, on the horse and talk to him. Yeah, it's Luigi and Mario. Come on. Come on. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. obviously. Uh, and I just did, could
0: not get him to challenge me to a horse race. And I don't remember how to get him to challenge me to a I horse mean, that's race. that's it. You're supposed to, you pay the rupees. You walk into the pen. You play Pona's song. You, you ride her around the pen. You jump over everything. You walk up. You lock onto him. You talk to him. And he says, you're pretty good at riding that. Uh, you you want to race for some money, and then you have to beat him two or three times, I think. I have no idea what happened then. I couldn't get it to happen. <laughs> I don't know. Weird. Maybe it was bugged. I don't know. But I,
1: I, I just assumed, oh, maybe there's something I'm missing. Maybe it, it needs to wait until
0: I finished a few temples or something. You can get it as soon as you get into the field as Adult Link, so I don't know what happened. I'm don't sorry. I'm sorry you can not get but I mean, I she's great, so. and, it's, and it's a great experience. But my my biggest issue and maybe maybe it's we should just talk about the dungeons mm, uh, sure. and, and how they worked but I found the child dungeon the childhood dungeons to be way more fun mm-hmm. and Perfect. I found that the themes of them it was just it there was something that was so wonderful and exciting and just full of like this real joyful experience of I'm a little kid, and now I'm in the I'm in the the stomachs the stomach of the whale. You know, I'm Jonah in mm-hmm. in the whale. I'm in the Great Deku Tree. I'm you know I I'm having all of, uh all of these moments. I'm I'm in Dodongo's Cavern. I love Dodongo's Cavern. Yeah. I love the experience of like fighting this this stupid derpy kind of monster and throwing. Uh, my friend Brian actually brought this up. But like, it was just—it felt so innovative at the time that you throw bombs into this thing's mouth to kill it, and like, it was just really fun, and it really encapsulated the experience of, you know, what it would feel like to be a child in a dungeon and and doing these things.
1: Now that you mention it, yeah, I I can I can agree with that. I think that the chi- child link levels are much more resonant to me now thinking about it because i'm thinking okay fire temple well fire temple is just it's kind of like dodongo's okay. cavern it's just okay the only two temp uh, the water temple everybody has <laughs> talked about how bad
0: the water temple is i the water temple i think is much better in the 3ds version it definitely and, is it definitely and i is. think if you wanted to say it was your favorite temple and you played the 3DS version i think you'd be well within your rights sure. to do so i think it's 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 beautifully designed it's it's the only level that's really deeply vertical yeah and it's, and really plays with that verticality mm-hmm. in a way that's sort of prescient of breath of the wild i think mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i think that the the problem with the water temple
1: in of itself is that it is preceded by probably one of the most boring areas
0: in the game, the ice temple. Oh my god. I forgot I didn't even know that was a thing. Not and the I'm temple. Like, ice I... caverns. Ice cavern. I'm like, what am I doing? What Jeez. I'm like, this I don't remember this being in the game. And I'm like, oh my god. It is such a
1: nothing burger, especially since you in the the uh ice cavern and the and the 3DS they fixed this. But in the N sixty four version, every time you pick up the fire, it does the dee, 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 dee. this is cold fire to the touch. You can equip oh. it, in every single and you need to burn so much red ice in that level, and it was just mind boggling how how much time is in wasted it, in, that, it, oh. in that in that uh, in N sixty four, and then and hey. I'm going to hit you with some, some deets that I don't know if you knew. You don't need the metal boots
0: or the water tunic to be the water temple. <laughs> you don't need... How do you not need the metal boots? You don't. You really don't. There's no way. How do you get to the bottom to reset the water level?
1: So, uh, did you get the, the scale? Yeah,
0: where it lets you dive deeper?
1: If you got the scale, the 10 second scale or 8 second scale... it's just enough time to go underwater and be able to reach all the areas and you can also do it without the water tunic you just have just enough time you start losing health but you do have enough room wiggle room to finish the temple without it and i will admit to you the first time i did the water temple i did have the boots but I did not have the water tunic because I didn't know that I was supposed to get the water tunic.
0: I didn't have the water tunic when I did it this playthrough either. I didn't, I had, I had the boots, but I did not. It was one of those things where I'm like, why am I not getting like, they gave me the fire tunic, the red tunic. Why wouldn't they give me the blue one? And I was, and then I ended up looking it up when I got into the, I didn't feel like I needed it, but I was like, where the, where, where the fuck is this thing? (laughs) <laughs> and then I'm like, and then they're like, oh, you had to release King Zor. I'm like, I'm not going back in that ice cavern. You're nuts. I then realized that you could buy the ice the yeah. fire. from, yeah, yeah, from yeah. But I still didn't do it. I was like, I also didn't get fire arrows this playthrough.
1: Really? Oh, yeah. my. I
0: I remembered after the fact that you have to shoot the, su- the, su- the rising mm-hmm. sun mm-hmm. in Lake Hyrule. And I was just, I, I was like playing through it and then a couple times i used to walk through when i was just trying to figure something out or i couldn't mm. figure something out and they're like yeah just shoot it with a fire i'm like what fire ar-? and i'm like oh my god that's right i never got them and it's only really problematic in ganon's castle at the yep. very end of the game yeah when you don't realize that you can i believe it's in the shadow area of the castle that you have to you have to like super hook shot over to the like, like, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then you have to like, then you have to use the hover boots, which I used aggressively. Oh yeah. The,
1: the J's, the air Jordans, the air Jordans. (laughs) Yeah. The, the,
0: yeah. I mean, the items are great. The design Mm -hmm. is great. And the way that you use them after the fact, I think, I think Ganon's castle is maybe my favorite place. Oh, in definitely! The game. It's like an Shoot. appetizer. It's so nice. So yeah, everything's the right amount. It's like the right amount. Like I got very frustrated in the forest dungeon. I found that really. I, I honestly wanted to stop playing while I was in the forest dungeon. <gasps> oh, I was so. The... Frustrated. Oh, I love the forest dungeon. I I agree There's though. So I did I did get lost.
1: Yep, I did get lost a couple times. So I do agree. I
0: just. It's such a bop this music though i was like the music's doo-doo, great doo-doo, 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 doo-doo. <laughs> yeah, like... i love the music it's it was a great place i mean it's a good thing i like the music because <laughs> i spent a lot of time in there it, it was just like very i found the backtracking to be like kind of very frustrating mm-hmm. the fire temple was cool i wasn't like like oh my god this is amazing but i did like the experience of getting the mallet Mm-hmm. I wish it got used a little bit more. Yeah, and yeah. figuring out like the fire, like that firewall puzzle mm-hmm. with the mm-hmm. rolling rocks was actually very cool. I felt yeah. like very smart when I figured <laughs> that out. So they did a good job with that for sure. There was a lot of I kept screwing up a jump or a roll or something, mm-hmm. and I kept having to push that stupid block to start to make the elevator. And I'm like, oh my god, guys, can you just please leave it? Can you <laughs> just Leave it. Like, why do I have to keep doing this? And it was, jumping on that and doing that whole segment was a little frustrating. I actually had a very similar experience in the Water Temple because in, and I would say that the Water Temple was one of my favorites if it wasn't for the fact that I didn't realize that I missed a time block after you fight Shadow Link. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to play a time, you're, the next thing you do after that is you just play it, play the Zelda's Lullaby. You or the song of time. You get rid of the time block. You just fall down through the cavern. You grab the last key you need, and then you're just you do one more area, and then you're at the boss. My stupid ass, Fran. My stupid ass. You feel so bad. that time you left. block. <laughs> I walked out the fucking front door that I walked in, and I reset that water level. I went through that temple maybe six to ten more times, not being able to figure out where this last area I had to go to was, until eventually I looked it up. And I was like, and they were like, just use the last key. You should have it. If not, go back through the walkthrough. I'm like, I'm going to lose my mind. I can't <laughs> find this. I'm like, is my game bugged? I was like, can I, can I, I was like Googling, like, can you brick, can you soft lock the game in the water temple? And they're like, you're literally the millionth person to ask this. Stop asking it. You can't do it. It's not possible. <laughs> and then I realized I forgot to play the song, the the song of time. So that one's probably more on me than anything. Yeah. Would so you? What did you think of uh, the fire temple and the water temple? Fire
1: Temple, it's pretty... Uh, the, uh, I played the N64 one, so I did get the the uh, Muslim chanting, which, you know, OG music. It's, it's yeah. like, oh, that's neat. Uh, it's just... It's very generic, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't think anything about... I don't think anything about it. I will say about the Water Temple and just about this playthrough in general. You were mentioning the Fire Arrows. Uh how much did you use magic uh really not much at all so I learned magic is op <laughs> this playthrough this is what my, you, my what do you use it on dins fire din's fire just just enemies of the room din's fire they're all dead keep moving freaking dark link din's fire Dense fire, dense, Are fire. You dense fire. I'm like sitting dense here, fire. like
0: it's Elden Ring. I'm like dodge. I'm like rolling to the left, I'm like trying to remember everything I learned. And <gasps> I didn't know you hard. could just so I did oh, dense man.
1: fire over and over again, and after that, it's just one hit and he's dead. Oh <laughs> I that's kind of awesome. I did not know as a kid, I was very much the I want to press X, smash X, and deal damage with my, my sword. I want to swing my sword. This time, I was like. Even if there was an obvious take out your stick and put this stick on fire to turn this thing, other thing on, (laughs) light on, nah, this fire, (laughs) just light it up, it's like, cool, let's go. Yeah. (laughs) It is
0: kind of, it it is kind of opaque when you think about it.
1: uh, And once you get the MP boost, which in my first few playthroughs, I was like, this is Useless. I never From use magic. Very, yeah, right. I never use magic. This is useless. This time I was like, yo. This you is th- broken. This, you thought that I was, was <laughs> just with the uh, the axe uh, bad guys, the ones with the big oh, giant yeah, armor. Yeah, yeah. Dins fire. Dins fire. Din's That's fire. so wild because
0: <laughs> I, I was thinking like, oh, I should, I actually had a moment of thought where I was in the shadow, like the shadow puzzle of Ganon's castle <laughs> and I long shot over to The like, like, and I'm like, I'm just gonna Din's fire this thing. Doesn't work. (laughs) They're immune to Din's fire. And this, 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 this friggin' thing eats me Mm. and then destroys my shield. Yeah. And my, my, I had the red tunic on, destroys my red tunic before I did the red zone. So I had to teleport out, go back to the, go back to the, uh, death map. Big, I had to go buy another fire tunic. I'm like, wow this is you really you really did me like this huh but i it's oh my god i mean it's it's an incredible game because it offers those experiences but at the same time it's like uh, damn man I, it's it's like there's they there's almost a little too much there like the yeah. like like stealing your shit because it's like why do, would i ever need to buy another shield here's why here's why i wish i wish it was if you kill them fast enough it'll drop it but yeah, but it, I, wish... I did kill it fast enough and it did drop and then they and it died right on the edge of the platform. And the tunic fell but the shield didn't It was it was a pretty painful. It was like a moment where I'm like, when did I save last <laughs> It was not close enough anyway I'm sorry. Uh, no 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 that's
1: uh, that, I just that was it. That was just the uh, the experience of din's fire and the water temple really just just op. Um, yeah, I think that for, like, like, it, yeah, just, that was unfortunate. I, I would have said, yeah, it would be better to just drop the items, but it did, and you just... It was bad, luck. Oof. Oof. Uh, so, yeah, what so... Say, oh, go ahead.
0: Well, I was gonna say, what's after, what's after that? After the water temple and stuff? Water temple,
1: so it's, uh, I believe it's forest, fire, water... Uh, Shadow I think Shadow and Spirit Temple you can do it it, you can do them in whatever order you can choose I think I think that those two are interchangeable in the order Uh, which is pretty neat I I enjoy especially when you were mentioning oh the Child uh, Temples are are better I do enjoy that the Spirit Temple and the Shadow Temple both um, ask of you to go back as Young Link to to solve something to to move forward. I really enjoy I guess we get three young link, three adults link and then two you need to do both. You you got to go between the two. And I really do enjoy that. <laughs> that is seems like uh, it's a bit annoying that the only way to turn back into a kid is the temple of time yeah. so you have to go all the way over there. But other than that, I do enjoy the fact that oh yeah, I can be cool. I Uh, wish they did it more. Yeah,
0: it was it was great because to me, I felt honestly, I felt like all the temples were a little long for Mm -hmm. my taste, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but the shadow and the light temple were great because you got to be child link and adult link and you got such a beautiful, like, like delicious bite sized portion of each dungeon. Mm -hmm. And it was nuanced because you had different items. You got to use these items that you hadn't used in forever I'm like, oh my god! I for- I love the boomerang to death, and I was it's such. A-
1: Why does the boomerang
0: not work as an adult? I that know. makes no sense. I know. I mean, it's it's it kills me. That's it was my favorite weapon in Twilight Princess as well. And the Gale boomerang just whips ass. But I was just like so, like in love with this going back and forth again. I agree. Like, it, I wish it was easier than having to play. Uh, the uh, what is it? The minuet of time or the minuet of light or whatever, and the have to go. Minuet of no, water. Minuet of the forest. Minuet of water. I thought it was. Either I don't. Oh know. god. Fans, oh no. I guess, I guess
1: we're not fast. Bolero of fire. Uh, serenade of water. So it's not minuet of water. Yeah. I thought it was the minuet of the forest. Yeah, I think it's minuet of forest. The... I don't remember
0: what. Something of light. Yeah, we're Battle not gonna different. win that. We're not gonna be on a trivia <laughs> team together then. Damn. Well now I but, gotta find out. You you talk while I find out. Okay. And I think Majora's Mask actually did a really great job of fixing that. Where you had you could you could interact with the world in these different ways by putting on a mask and changing your character and introducing Individualistic, nuanced gameplay to a game that already existed, and you—it's know, all the same resources. It's—it's it's in many ways the same game and a totally different game. Yeah, yeah,
1: and it—it yeah. it really does build to good game design. There's a lot of games where the there is this idea of the rule of three being you show mechanic A in a vacuum you show mechanic okay. b in a vacuum and then you show mechanic a and b together to, to in, in a new and exciting way and a good game that does this is Mega Man. that's uh, kind of going back where there is this mechanic of you meet this new villain and you're like oh this is a, this is a difficult villain but it's it's in a vacuum that's fine then you meet this other like Uh, falling grounds this uh this level where when you walk on the ground the ground starts falling underneath you yeah and you're like okay i get the mechanic and then you meet right after that it's both of them at the same time this new enemy you just learn this falling ground that the enemy kind of like jumps over you so you kind of need to like dodge it but you can't really dodge back to where you were because the thing is gonna fall so it's this idea of a vacuum vacuum together vacuum vacuum together Or if you want to go a little bit more complex, you can do vacuum, vacuum, those two together, then a vacuum, then together, together, like the other
0: combinations of stuff. That's Uh, like a it feels like the glass shattering moment where I'm like, this is like every video. Game yes.
1: Ever. There's a lot of video games that you'll notice that like, pattern of we do this, we do this both in a vacuum. And then later on we mesh them together. It's like
0: the, I guess <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, I want to, I, now I just want to point out like they did that in Metroid and Mario yep. and Luigi's mansion. And yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, that's, that's actually very true and, and extremely cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, that leads me to, I guess, a question that I really wanted to ask you is what do you find either inspirational or not from Ocarina of Time as a developer, as, as somebody who, who actively makes video games? What is what is what is something that you see in it? I mean, I know that uh, I don't know if you've you've done a lot of like adventure or open mm. world games like this in the past. I know you you your last game, you weren't really in this space, but. I mean, it's it's everyone says it's the most influential thing ever and we can point to a million places from it. But as a designer and as a developer yourself, what do you what do you look at as the legacy of Ocarina of Time?
1: I think that one of the biggest legacies of Ocarina of Time is designed through insinuation where where there are a lot of times in the game where you just end up in a place where the how the camera is set up is set in such a way where the POI is just in the distance and that is okay. POIs are so important in these open world games right when you leave point of the t- yeah point of interest sorry point of interest when you leave the um the lost woods for the first time the camera goes like that you can see pyral temple In the distance. Just barely. you just barely. And you're like, oh my god. And you go there. When you leave the temple, the uh, uh, Hyrule Castle, you see Mount Doom in the distance. And you're like, whoa, what is that? And you go towards it. There's a lot of little things like that in Ocarina of Time where it would have been very easy. And honestly, they kind of did a disservice to themselves a little bit with the owl character. Of sometimes telling <laughs> you a little bit too much, like how holding your hand a little bit too much. Like that that seems to me, that owl character seems to me a an afterthought producer was like, oh, kids are not gonna understand what to do, yeah. while the designers are like, come on, like there's a super awesome thing in the distance. They're obviously gonna go to the super awesome thing in the
0: distance. Producer <laughs> insert. Yeah,
1: producer. It it really does feel like that. And it's not just in exploration, but it's also in in combat and in like the enemy with the eye with the laser that if you just run around it it'll like start spinning around and it like <laughs> dies. And what? Or wait no, that's oh god, I'm mixing Mario. That's a Mario enemy. Oops. Okay. I was like
0: I was like, wait, you can do what to be most? No, no, no. Did I you, was shocked. I was like, I've just been throwing bombs. Yeah, everything. you need to throw bombs.
1: Or or um forgot what other way you could do it. there's another way to kill shoot them. it in the eye yeah so stuff like that bongo bongo with the with the, the eyes like it's it's things that we take for granted and are very obvious right now of like oh yeah shoot it at the weak point the big glowy part or anything like that but really that something had to do it first right and yeah to bring it back before we're hitting here our last 14 minutes or so Going back to how your friends were saying, oh, it's so nostalgia, it's so nostalgia, so nostalgia, it's the first game of its type that I played. Well, really, it was the first game of its type that everyone (laughs) played, because there wasn't another game of its type, right? Like, it's not just, it's not going to be a, it's definitely not going to be an experience for people who are older, who are younger, who who might experience first Breath of the Wild or Elden Ring or stuff like that before Ocarina of Time. But for people from our age, it's not just a nostalgia of, of Ocarina of Time. It's a nostalgia of discovering a game genre that didn't exist and yeah. now is existing. It's kind of like, this is going to be super over <laughs> overrating it, but... It's kind of like seeing a, a, a first a newborn baby, right? Like okay. this life wasn't here before. Now right. it is here. It is alive, and it is a thing. It's not just that you get to experience this new life. It's not you saying, oh, it was my first newborn that I ever met. No, it's everybody's first time meeting this newborn, this this life form, this baby that is coming, that is in its everything's infancy. Everything's new, everything's first. Everything is first. And I think that there is a powerful thing to that. And it's, it's really one of the th- reasons I think that the indie movement is so important and... And trying out non triple A or being a little bit more risky with games and stuff like that is that you really want, if you can find that experience and provide that experience to players, it will become their new Ocarina of Time. The first time anybody played a MOBA before MOBAs were a thing, I bet wow. some people were like, this is groundbreaking that you can do this this is crazy the first vr experience was this is crazy this is breaking new ground yeah. um and and there and, it, and that that sort of thing being there for that sort of thing is i for better or for worse whether it clouds the greatness, or it shines, the greatness on Ocarina of Time is one of the reasons why it's thought of as one of the best games of all time. Because it was the first, and it did it so well. We're You're going to need to cut so much of this out, because I'm just repeating the same thing over no, and I over don't, again. I don't think so at all. I really
0: don't think so at all. I think you made some really <laughs> incredible points. I don't want to cut any of it. I, it's you, you captured a lot of what I think we were kind of getting at here. And I know we didn't really dive super, super deep into the nitty gritty of it. And there's a lot of real beautiful things in this game. And maybe, maybe it's something we should revisit at another time. I mean, the character, dev- the characters mm-hmm. are incredible and very full and feel very lifelike. Mm-hmm. There's so many options. There's so much optional content yeah. in of time mm-hmm. that I don't think you get it in the same way nowadays. Mm-hmm. And I don't mm-hmm. want to say, Oh, back in my day. Although I'm, I'm, getting a little close to the edge with it but (laughs) it's it's from a it's from a generation and maybe a full design philosophy that i think kind of went a little bit by the wayside in more recent maybe the more more most recent decade or half decade of game design you know with Something like 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 Rocksteady's like Detective Vision, right? Mm. Or The Witcher's ro- Detective Vision, yeah, or yeah. Skyrim's uh, or Oblivion's po- uh, points on a map, or uh, uh, Assassin Creeds, Assassins Creeds. Uh, you know, just crazy full maps full of icons that oh, mean God, yeah. and everything. Yeah, and I, I think that that speaks to a really unique design philosophy and maybe paradigm shift in game development but mm-hmm, here mm-hmm. in Ocarina and I think when you were when you were talking about how everything like they really broke new ground here when when Miyamoto and and Ayanuma and uh Kozumi and Osawa and Yamada and the whole team and uh Iwaki designed the game there were mm-hmm. there was five budding heads that wanted to take the game in a million different directions and Miyamoto wanted to let them all do their thing and then he and then they all came together and like wow this is a fucking mess and then Miyamoto <laughs> said let me clean it up and provide a little bit more strict vision and kind of took these different ideas that that made that made it such an incredible experience mm-hmm. and made it so unique and and something that's worth copying and i think there's and you kind of led into this when you were talking about about the the sound design and Koji Kondo's remixing of songs and sampling of libra- of this library of sounds to create something as iconic as, uh, you know the the Zelda's lullaby mm-hmm. or Gerudo Valley or something like that, and there has to be something worth copying to copy, right? Mm-hmm. And I think this is maybe something that's understated when we get into it and uh, when we get into discussions of, Oh, this is just like this other thing and that's Mm -hmm. terrible. And we can't ever have something that's like, well, no, there, if there's something worth doing, it's probably worth doing twice, maybe three (laughs) times. And we can add a lot of nuance to it by iterating on it. Like Mm -hmm. you're, you're pointing out of points of interest being just within field of vision Mm -hmm. is something that people talk about in breath of the wild and tears of the kingdom today. Mm -hmm. It's the most it's the first thing you notice in Elden Ring. You walk out of the cave in Elden Ring, you see white masked var, and you immediately see the most unbelievable landscape you've ever seen in a game ever. And, mm. it, and it's this, this singular moment that every single person who played Ocarina of Time, Horizon Zero West, uh, Assassin's Creed, everybody has had this singular experience, and it's not just because everybody has to copy Ocarina of Time but it's because there's something intrinsic about the nature of exploration of 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 feeling like there's something worth doing there's something worth seeing because there's something just within your line of sight there's something just within your field of view that itches and excites you to explore more and it's it's absolutely 100% like you said intrinsic to the experience mm-hmm. of of Zelda and even in I, I think, in light of having just done Banjo Kazooie, right? Another 3D exploration mm-hmm. game with Collectathon, which is a Collectathon, which there's a little bit of that mm-hmm. in Zelda. But Banjo Kazooie, in a way, asks you to explore the world through nuanced gameplay. We are constantly doing the same things, and we're going to add one new thing. We're going to mm-hmm. add one new thing. We're going to give you one new ability. In many ways, that was that was a super mario thing that was a castlevania thing that was a super metroid thing and that's something that we see here today too right it's it's something that's intrinsic to mm. legend of zelda to ocarina of time of adding abilities of adding powers and letting you experience the world however you want to do it it's mm. it's why it's, i think it's so hard to look at something like skyrim or look at something like Elden Ring and not and having played this not see so clearly the tracks that that Miyamoto and Ayanuma and the team at Nintendo really laid down for the the visual physical language of games yeah and how and how it works yeah so
1: going back to the we were talking a little bit beforehand about how the game kind of didn't didn't like break new ground for me from a, like this time playing it, I didn't feel like the carpet was pulled underneath me and I am just filled with wonder and this is amazing and oh my God, this is 10 out of 10. That that experience didn't happen to me this time. And, yep. but in turn, and this might be just because I've gotten older, Or anything like that. A lot of the things that I've talked to you about in this. And like all these cool things that I've learned. Have come about from this playthrough being so much more quieter. And so much more nuanced. And so much more. I've played this. This is familiar territory. And I don't think it's possible for me to be wowed again by this game. Because I've played it a few times already but seeing the the duct tape the stitching the code that b- yeah. it makes the game kind of made it even made me even more appreciative of yeah. of the game this time so it's one of those
0: it's like a depth and beauty to it depth and
1: beauty to it like the first time you see the grand canyon you might be like oh my god that's beautiful but maybe the hundredth time, so big. yeah. The hundredth time you see it, you just sit down and contemplate it. You notice that one rock and how the light hits off the the uh, the ozone layer and and how the gradient of the sky as the sun sets changes and all these different. It's a lot more. This time, me playing it has been a lot more contemplative of of what
0: is going on around me rather than astoundment, so to speak. You did a, you did a really incredible job putting into words what I think a lot of grad students right now are struggling to understand Immanuel Kant's, uh, texts, uh, are about and the idea of sublimity and the power and beauty of sublimity Mm -hmm. and the way we perceive and determine things that are beautiful versus things that are unbeautiful or ugly. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a, it's a, nuanced perspective that i think you can only get to because i didn't have that experience this is mm-hmm. my first time playing yeah through it. that's fair i i was a little i was honestly a little frustrated with some mm-hmm. of my experiences playing through the game as somebody who you know i i felt like a little bit of pressure yeah there's almost an aspect of homework to it for me and i didn't want to get into that because i felt like that wasn't fair to the game in this playthrough mm-hmm. that's not what i was trying to convey but it was there it was real but it is still something that I'm very thankful that I played through and I'm very happy that I got to experience because mm-hmm. it's allowed me to better understand and appreciate what some of my favorite game designers today are really looking back at as the fundamentals mm-hmm. and understanding. Yeah, there's there's the beauty and wonderment and the sub, the sublime awe of hitting fire Hyrule field for the first time mm-hmm. It's, you know, you can't really match that experience, but then there's something really, really beautiful about the way that you only have five notes and you can play 10 songs with them and you're allowed to just sit there with the ocarina out and do whatever you want. You don't just hit a button and play a song. Yep. The game asks you, the game asks you to do the thing. It asks you to make, it it makes, it gamifies the, the, the puzzle solving Mm -hmm. of the puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. If that makes any, if that makes sense, like the solution to the puzzle is a puzzle in and of itself. Do you remember the song? Mm-hmm. How much do you think it'll cost us to get William to compose
1: our outro for this <laughs> podcast using only those five notes?
0: I think what uh, we should thank him profusely and, uh, and take care of him for, uh, Doing the job that we him to do for the intro first no it's uh I, I think that would be a very interesting task and I and it's one that I would be interested in talking to him about on here maybe where we can talk about maybe maybe he could do like a short composition and see like the different ways that you can do it I'm sure it's it's a it's an exercise that is practiced before I'm sure this yeah. is new this is not totally new ground certainly not anymore but Anyway, uh, I want to thank you for playing this game with me and spending some time thinking about Ocarina of Time and talking about it with me. I am so happy for to be here for your first time
1: playing the finishing Ocarina of Time. It is exciting to talk to somebody about this sort of stuff.
0: Yeah, it's it's one that. I felt like it was always missing in my in my understanding and my sort of required reading list of of this, especially as somebody who grew up with it and never really got to experience it. And mm-hmm. being able to talk about it with you has really helped me appreciate it more, despite even the speed bumps I felt along the way mm-hmm. and the frustrations I fe- felt along the way, because there's really something incredible about it. And there's something that's maybe unlike a lot of, uh, a lot of, other games that we could have played or even on this list. So with that, I think we should start, we should wrap it up here. Um, So next on our list, we're going to start working on, I don't know. Have you, we're going to start working on undertale for (laughs) our next game. It's one that I don't know who recommended it to me. It may be (laughs) one that I threw on there, but it's, it's a game that I skipped when it came out because I was a very edgy, college student who didn't want to be do anything that anyone else was doing <laughs> and i wanted to be a cool kid and so i missed it uh have you started playing it have you played it before
1: i have not finished it before it is a
0: game that
1: i have started like three times and never have finished it so i am both scared and excited to try again <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and see if i will finally finish it. it's a short game so yes, i think i've gotten like more than half of the game through and for some reason i stopped and i do not know why i really don't remember why i
0: stopped i am excited to maybe figure out where and why you stopped last time
1: i i think i remember where but and that's why I'm confounded as to that part wasn't that bad. Like it wasn't frustrating or anything. So yeah, I'm I'm excited to to check it out. I've yeah I've I've played it like started like three times. How about you? Okay. Well, you already mentioned you haven't played it.
0: You were I too have cool not for it. school. I played Anodyne, which I think is oh, similar. Okay. Uh, I I didn't finish that either, to okay. mind you. I didn't like. I did not love Anodyne, but uh, I am familiar with with that song that everybody knows. From yeah, yeah which is so a bomb incredible. honestly honestly it's, it is quite a bomb even though a, the it's, memes it's have killed it it's a real killer <laughs> uh i I'm, I'm looking forward to sort of understanding why it's so important and ignoring the memes about it mm-hmm, in, mm-hmm. in spite of it and i'm ex- i'm most excited to talk to you about undertale and just indie games as a whole mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. i feel like undertale is a really important part of the history uh in the history of indie games as a maybe i want to say resurgence but i'll mm. say it's probably more of the birth of the indie game movement and the steam green light and just uh an entirely, it entirely it feels very indicative of a changing or a watershed moment in how games are played and appreciated and understood, mm-hmm. and I don't want to get into it right now. <laughs> we should save it. For oh, we have episode. another hour and a half right now, right? So <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can just bang that out on a weeknight. No, all right. So, Fran, where can our lovely fans, our dear dear listeners, find you? You
1: can find in the uh, the website formerly known as Twitter, l underscore fantastico. I don't post there anymore, so you know. I guess don't follow Follow, me there.
0: Follow him there. Follow me there.
1: I want to get super popular there now that I've left. Uh, Twitch.tv, L underscore Fantástico as well. Threads, L underscore Fantástico. Pretty much either Fantástico or L underscore Fantástico everywhere.
0: Awesome. And you can find me at useyouritems.wordpress.com on my blog feel free to email either of us at use items at gmail.com. And you can also find me on twitch.tv at, uh, Wobie underscore con K O N W O B I. If that doesn't work, we might even get a new Twitch channel going for the two of us to share. And, uh, yeah, we're working on that. We, there might be a discord in the, fu- in the near future too. Ooh. So <laughs> we'll, uh, there, there's a few things on the, on the horizon, but, As always, uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for joining us. And please, whatever you do, use your items.